This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by the Trek Geek Shop. Now you can help support our show and get yourself some cool Star Trek gear at the same time. Check out our line of t-shirts, mugs, hats, and other items for your inner Trek geek at shop.trekgeeks.com. Hi, this is Michelle Specht. I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh my god, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing. Biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome, one and all, to Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. This is episode number 63, and we're very excited to be with you. I'd like to, at this point, introduce my co-host. He was once kicked out of a bar because he was confused for a Ferengi in a gorilla suit. It's an easy mistake to make, I know, but he's still my podcast partner, Dan Davidson. You know, Dan, it's funny that the clown could stay at the bar, but you couldn't. Sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> Mr. Tricorder. <laughs> right. That yes, is funny. funny. <laughs> Thanks for that wonderful announcement and introduction. Well, Thanks I do want to say it's a, it, it's a condition you've had since birth, so nobody should make fun of you. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Well, thank you for supporting that. Every, no, there is no bullying. No bullying. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to have a pretty fun show tonight. It's another see it or skip it. We seem to get great uh, response from our last one when we did season one of Voyager. So uh, why not do another one? We're not just going to do a season today, though, dude. We're doing a whole series. We are. We're going to focus on the animated series. And it's one that we've been kind of putting off for a while. And now that we've done it, I'm not sure why we did. Oh no, I don't I don't why put it off or do it. Yes. <laughs> and on top of that, we got some extra special fun tonight. We're going to have a little crossover action. We are. We have Jeff Hewlett from the Tricorder Transmissions who's going to join us for the animated series. He's going to kind of rein us in a little bit, which I think is good because we both could use it. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not surprised. No I'm not yeah. surprised. <laughs> Dan, why don't you tell the good folks at home how they might send us their thoughts on the animated series, because I'm sure they're going to have them. Uh, yes, I got to tell you, I have some thoughts on them, and we'll find out later. But on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, our handle is Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com or pick up your little cell phone and call 508-784-1701 and leave us a voicemail. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. And leave a message uh, on your through your computer or through whatever means you can get to that website from. Right, right. Okay. Also, uh, you can also join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. A lot of good discussion over there right now. Got some great people uh, talking it up. And if you are a member of Camp Kittimer, you get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast. 
So uh, to join the group, just go over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer, and we will let you right in. Just remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Back to you, Bill. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate that. Great work. <coughs> Thank you. <laughs> we also have to give special thanks to Kale Teskar, who created the animated series-style artwork we have for the podcast this week. It came out amazing, Dan. I think you'll agree. Uh, you can get a portrait of yourself in the animated series style and learn more about Kale's work at StarTrekAnimated.com. And we truly cannot thank him enough for the awesome job he did. And Dan, once again, it's time for the news from our good friends at TrekNews.net. I love this segment every week, and we get to talk about some of the biggest stories on the TrekNews.net website. And let's just kick it right off. You know, it's no secret that some people were left standing outside of Paramount Studios for the Star Trek Beyond event, but it looks like those people are going to get a little bit of a makeup, aren't they? Yeah, it was uh, nice to see. Uh, it was really a shame what happened. Uh, we heard a lot of uh, ramblings about it, but uh, it looks like all those people that were left outside are getting special um, swag packages sent to them, I should say, uh, or something along the like, but they're also going to get tickets to the premiere of the film uh, down in San Diego a couple days before it opens nationally. So that's pretty cool. I think so. It's a shame that we weren't left standing on the sidewalk. I'd love one of those swag bags. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Well, you know, it'll it'll come. Well, maybe I'll get you some swag. <laughs> oh, what a nice guy. Well, Dan, speaking speaking of swag. Yeah, maybe this is what I can get you. <laughs> yeah, because I would love this. I would play with these all day long. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek 50 merchandise continues to be announced. And uh, this week they released that they will be making Kirk, Spock, and Uhura Barbie dolls. I'm not interested in those. I don't believe that for a New York second. <laughs> that is probably the first Star Trek item that's ever come out that I'm like, no, no. Well, and I guess if you go to San Diego Comic-Con, there's going to be a special Orion Slave Girl one, I think. That one I would get. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know you have such a line of demarcation. I'm very proud of you. Uh, yeah. I, I, I got to say, I do like all of the different things that are coming out for the 50th anniversary. It's it's pretty cool. It's pretty much on a weekly or couple, every couple of day basis we're getting new stuff announced. It's really kind of neat. I just – I wish there were more toys as opposed to yes. collectibles. I would agree with that, yes. Like action figures or phasers or tricorders or something because my cubicle at work has a uh, a definite deficiency in this area. I'll see what I can do. I'll make a call. <laughs> Get right on that. Okay. Uh, next off, Dan, there's a brand new podcast being launched, and it's being launched by the mothership of all places. Yeah, this was pretty uh, interesting and surprising news when we saw that. CBS is launching an official Star Trek podcast. It's hitting in three days from our time of recording, I believe, and it's called Engage. Yeah, Engage. <laughs> now, it's hosted by Jordan Hoffman, who has written, I think, the One Trek Mind column on StarTrek.com for a while. He's conducted panels at STLV. He's an all-around super nice guy, and I, I, we're very excited for him. We think it's going to be a great show. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Uh, he, he's I, I've seen the uh, quote unquote trailers for it. He looks pretty excited. His, I wish I had all the like batlets and stuff that he's got in his office. It well, looks like it's going to be fun. Well, and plus, like I said, the mothership CBS Jeez. is actually producing this, so it's it's official. I mean, it's yeah, it it it's going to be on the Play It or Play It network, which is owned by CBS. It's on iTunes. I listened to episode zero zero the other day, and it was. It was a decent listen. I look forward to see where they go with it. Nice. Uh, looking forward. And I believe, what is it? So it's going to be uh, the 15th, I believe, is the first official, the official launch of it. So we'll uh, we'll uh, take a gander and uh, we'll let folks know how it sounds. And congratulations to Jordan. Definitely. We, uh, we're excited for him and we think he's going to do a great job. Dan, next, or I should say lastly, it looks like uh, we've started to see more publicity for star trek beyond yeah finally it, it's so good to see finally after all this time uh the tv spots are starting to make the rounds uh there were some during the nba finals the other night so uh they're being seen by a lot of people and uh, i hope that means many people will be out and seeing it when it hits theaters uh next month, next month. i know did you happen to catch lip sync battle the other night <laughs> with zachary and uh and zoe I don't watch the show often, but I did see it, and that was hysterical. If you haven't seen it, you should you know check your your DVR, check Spike TV for reruns. It was pretty funny. Um, Zachary Quinto dressed as George Michael <laughs> or Missy Elliott. Either one was just hilarious. <laughs> it was great, and I also saw an, an article, uh, an interview that he did with uh, ET, I believe. That he actually hired a choreographer for the show, so it's you know they don't they don't fool around. They're in it for the big win. <laughs> well, we don't want to spoil it for anybody, but uh, you should definitely check it out if you can, and uh, it's it's just good fun. Good good stuff. Dan, it's finally time. To do another see it or skip it. And I'm very excited tonight because we're going to do probably a show that we've been talking about doing for a while. I would agree with that. We're going to have an actual good podcaster on with us, right, Bill? Uh, we are. We do have a special <laughs> guest joining us all the way over from a across the quadrant is our good friend Jeff Hewlett from the Tricorder Transmissions. Jeff, welcome aboard, buddy. We are so psyched to finally have you here on Trek Geeks. Oh, thanks, guys. And I'm totally psyched to hear who this great podcaster is that's coming on. <laughs> well, we couldn't get John Champion, so Dan Davidson is still here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you have been podcasting for a little bit now, and Tricorder has been just doing great things. Tell us a little bit more about the show. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've been we've been on for almost three years, coming up on our three-year anniversary in the beginning of August. I believe uh, we're all going to be at the Vegas convention when that happens. It'll be August 4th. It'll be the third anniversary of our first broadcast. So what we originally started, my uh, partner Craig Cohen and I, what we originally set out to do was to go through all of the original series episodes and pick out the ones that you absolutely had to see to learn as much as you could possibly learn about the characters, the uh, the universe, Starfleet, uh, and all of that sort of thing. So uh, what we do is we do a commentary track that you could lay over top of the DVD, Blu-ray episode, however you're watching it. We would talk over it. 
And at the end, we would tell you whether we thought the episode was essential or not. So things like um, uh, character uh, backstory moments that you would learn about, um, you know, the first introductions of technologies, introductions of alien races, those types of things would make it essential. So um, we got all the way through that. We started up the animated series recently, also started doing old key comics. And in the process, we wound up starting up several other shows under the Tricorder banner, like Shore Leap, which is centered around Trek conventions. And we brought in a brand new co-host, Heather Barker, for that one. And we also do another show called The Tavacron, where we talk about the influence of the real world on Star Trek episodes with uh, Claire Little and myself. And we also had another sub-series with the guys from Five Year Mission, where we do kind of like a behind the music on all of the stuff. So it's, it's been quite a journey in three years. You know, we've commented on our show several times. We have no idea how you do all those shows because we have a difficult enough time doing one. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a lot easier when you actually like the people that you're doing the podcast with, though, right, wow. Jeff? <laughs> it does make it a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's become almost robotic over uh, not not the actual shows, but the production, recording, production, editing, and and uh, you know, it's all become like a robotic thing. I do all that here uh, in the little studio here in Jersey. So. Um, you know, we, we try to record the stuff ahead of time, but sometimes it gets down to the wire and you got to burn the midnight oil to get the episodes out every week. But uh, we make it happen. Well, one thing is for sure, this week's episode of Trek Geeks is bound to be Adam Drosen's favorite episode ever. <laughs> Simply because <laughs> Jeff so. is here. We're going to have to spend a little extra time on the magics when we get there. Oh, oh. oh. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, show my hand too early, but oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Well, why don't we get right into it, Jeff? You're going to shepherd us through the, well, the, the entire series, I guess, because it's only 22 episodes long. Yep. And, uh, you know, you'll give us a brief rundown of each episode, and then Dan and I will discuss whether or not we want to see it or skip it. And you can pick which one of us goes first. Oh, wow. Sounds great. So if you guys are ready to get started, I'll jump right in. Sounds right. great. Let's do it. All right. Well, the first episode of the animated series was called Beyond the Farthest Star, aired on uh, September 8th of 1973, took place between star dates 5221.3 and 5221.8. And briefly, Kirk and the crew uh, find an ancient derelict vessel in space, but there's still some living organisms inside of it. So a uh, cool part about this one for me was that it had a gigantic uh, alien organic ship that couldn't have been done in the original series. So uh, Bill, why don't you kick it off? Uh, thanks. I This one for me is definitely a see it. Um, you know, it, it's not the greatest episode of Star Trek, but there are so many cool things that reintroduce Star Trek to a new audience, even if it is Saturday morning cartoons. There's the life belt, uh, yeah, the life belts. There's like you said, Jeff, the the living ship. I think it is at least a great start for this uh, for this series, and it made me want to continue watching. Hmm, that's interesting because I thought the exact opposite, Bill. Really? Yeah, I I I my first vote for episode one was skip it. I was expecting more for the first animated series episode. Uh, I just didn't think it was a great story. Um, maybe it was because I was just wanting more. I'm not sure if that's the reason, but, uh, it did nothing for me. I gave it a skip it. Wow. You're, you're a communist is what you are, mister. 
wow. From you, coming from you, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> well, so, so far, we're, uh, we're you know, 0 and 1. Dan's a 0 and I'm a 1. So we're already disagreeing, Jeff. <laughs> well, I would expect no less. <laughs> we're consistent. Yes. Inconsistently consistent. Yes. All right. You guys ready for the next one? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. All right, moving on to episode number two. This may be uh, the most popular animated series episode ever. Yesteryear uh, was aired on September 15th of 1973. Took place on 5373.4, the one in which Mr. Spock travels back in time to prevent his own death as a child on Vulcan. So it uh, features the return of the Guardian of Forever uh, episode, that was semi-canon. Uh, it was the only episode that was not officially decanonized uh, back in the late. So, uh, Dan, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, a lot of your description I would agree with, uh, Jeff. It's a definite see it for me. I think it is the best episode of the animated series. Uh, like you said, you got the Guardian. you got Ichaya. Uh, you have an Andorian first officer in Telen. I thought that was great. Uh, you also have the Lamatya, which sounded suspiciously like Godzilla, which I thought was very cool. Um, and you also had uh, Mark Lennard as Spock's father. I thought it was fantastic. Excellent story. Perfect Star Trek story. Definite see it. This one for me is a definite see it. And I think it starts with the writing of this episode. It is great from start to finish. I, I'm not surprised because DC Fontana you know, essentially did this episode from start to finish. It's a, it's a wonderful 20 minutes of Star Trek. I only wish it could have been an hour-long live-action episode for me. Agreed. So I think uh, the fact that this was the only one that made it through the decanonization says a lot. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. In fact, I was not aware of that. So you're, you're adding value already, Jeff. This is awesome. That's my goal. <laughs> something, something new happens on this podcast every week. That's right. There you go. <laughs> All right. So next up, what do we got? Uh, number three is called One of Our Planets is Missing, aired September 22nd, 1973. Takes place between stardates 5371.3 and 5372.1. So the Enterprise crew learns that a large planet-destroying, a planet-eating cloud has entered Federation space, which sounds an awful lot like the motion picture. Uh, Spock does some really cool mind melt stuff with his, uh, his powers without even having to touch the clouds. That's a pretty cool little, uh, expose on Spock's powers. So I'll throw the mic over to Bill. This one for me is a skip it. It was a total snooze fest. I think it reminded me not only of the motion picture, but the doomsday machine and the immunity syndrome all wrapped up into one. And... I think I actually did fall asleep the first time I attempted to watch it. And so I put it on again and felt like I should have probably stayed napping. Other than that, I have no strong feelings on this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Bill on that one. I gave it a skip it uh, primarily for the same reason that he mentioned. It reminded me way too much of the immunity syndrome. It's as if the writers really didn't put anything into the story. Uh, I did like Spock's magic arms out open wide. Uh, mind meld, but that's really the only thing that I really found of any interest in this one. I gave it a skip it. All right. Anything else to say before we move on? I, um, it was a terrible episode. <laughs> 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 I, 
you know, I could see where this episode probably could have been improved some. And I get that, you know, they were trying to rush this out. They didn't have a whole lot of time to produce the animated series. And, you know, you have to have an episode. I get it. Uh, but I just, I, there wasn't just one of the planets missing. To me, there was just part of this story missing. And I, I, I think that maybe if they reworked the script a couple of times, it could have been a lot better. I think I might be able to agree that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Next up is, oh, the Heather Barker favorite, the fourth episode, The Lorelei Signal, aired on September 29th of 1973, taking place between 5483.7 and 5483.9. So the Enterprise finds itself drawn to a planet populated solely by women who dominate the male crew members' minds to the point where Uhura must assume command to rescue them. This is the first time and maybe the only time Uhura takes command of the Enterprise. So let's flip it over to Dan. Yeah, well, seeing as if it's Heather's favorite episode, of course I have to give it a see it. So uh, <laughs> I did give it a see it. I thought it was a great episode. Uh, the look of Kirk, Sulu, and Spock when they had those goofy grins on their face when they were under the spell of the woman was enough for me to give it a see it because I just thought it was hilarious. Uh, I did love the fact that Uhura finally got to take over command. That was pretty cool. Uh, and Scotty sang on the bridge and serenaded people. What's not to love? You saw Chapel showing her love for Spock. Uh, it was great. Good episode. Definitely see it. This one for me is an absolute see it, despite the fact that Scotty's song seems to go on for a good solid <laughs> minute. It's like there's only 22 minutes in this episode, and a full minute of this is Scotty singing. Don't get me wrong. It's fun, but... Uh, no, it, it, there's so much to love about this episode, and I have to agree, Uhura in the Center Seat is the best. And when we talked to Kim Stinger last year, this was one of the things we brought up is for why we'd love to see more of Uhura in a central role in like Star Trek continues. But, uh, the, you know, the, the landing party in a giant vase <laughs> possibly drowning, it's a great element to this episode. I just, I like it all around. I think it's, it's a wonderful script, and I, I think it's a good Saturday morning cartoon on top of it, because not all the episodes are good Saturday morning cartoons, you know? Right. I also got to add I got to add to that, Bill, that that planet, it rains harder than anywhere in the galaxy because it filled that vase up pretty damn fast. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, great Heather Barker point on this one, too, was that uh, she saw shades of the uh, JJ Universe Ohura in this Ohura. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have to agree with that 100%. And I like that, you know, Ohura started to evolve because of the animated series when we got to the movies. You know, she was a much more rounded out character in the films. And I think without the treatment that they gave her in the animated series, that may not have happened the way it did. I would have to agree with that. All right. Let's see. Next up is the first TOS uh, sequel episode. The fifth episode is More Tribbles, More Troubles, aired October 6, 1973. Takes place on Stardate 5392.4. Uh, very similar to the original Trouble with Tribbles. They're escorting a shipment of grain to Sherman's planet. The Enterprise encounters some uh, prior characters from the previous Tribble episode, Kalyan Commander Koloth and Cyrano Jones 
And of course, there are Tribbles in tow, as well as a brand new Tribble Predator that's been developed by the Klingons called the Glomer. And the really cool thing is that David Gerald, the writer of the original Trouble of Tribbles, also wrote this sequel episode. So, Dan, take it away. I will unfortunately have to give this one a skip it. And it was really hard for me to do that. I really wanted to like this episode because I like the uh, original story as well as the Deep Space Nine Tribble episode. Uh, but it just, it just for me, did not have a very strong story to it. There were a lot of um, uh, animation errors in this. I mean, there were a lot of animation errors in the entire series. But I found it very interesting that anytime Scotty uh, was using the transporter in this episode, he had a mustache. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, the story was weak. The tribbles were pink. Uh, it just, uh, just didn't do it. Uh, skip it. Really? Yeah. Yep. Sorry, it was difficult. I really wanted to like this one, but I just couldn't. Dude, why do you hate America? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's not America, man. It's just you. <laughs> this one for me is an absolute see it. I mean, I don't know how you can go through the collection of Tribble episodes without seeing this. Um, but for me, it's it's just barely a see it. I mean, yeah, it doesn't have the heart of the original Tribble episode, and there's really no way it could, but it's it's definitely not terrible, and I think it is a great complement to the original series episode. Uh, the glommer's kind of neat, although I have no idea how it's going to eat that giant Tribble. You know, as uh, uh, does it get like glommer Pepto-Bismol afterward, because they're roughly the same color? Wow, that's awful. I know. And <laughs> I, but no, overall, I, I think it's, it's definitely not the worst of the animated series. And I think it's no. fun. Okay. So next up is the sixth episode in the series called the survivor aired October 13th of 1973 and takes place on start date 5143.3. The enterprise finds a uh, Federation philanthropist, Carter Winston, uh, supposedly missing for nearly five years near the border of the Romulan neutral zone. Turns out to be a non-humanoid alien of the Vendorian race and who leads them into Romulan space and into a conflict. So um, this episode also introduces Mress and the Cation race and also has a casual mention of McCoy's daughter. So, Bill? As you were giving that intro, I actually just changed my mind on this episode because it was so borderline for me. There are things about this episode that I could take or leave, but ultimately I, it tells a Star Trek story for me. So I'm I'm a see it, um, but just barely over the line, because before we started this discussion, I was a skip it. Um, there's enough here that makes it interesting as far as Star Trek goes, and you know, when you consider, you know, this uh, the race that has, has sort of taken this Carter Winston persona, it there's something there, and I think it's, I think it's, I wish it were a longer story to be honest, but um, I'm gonna go with see it. Are you really waffling on your decision? I didn't waffle. I I thought you changed that your mind. I changed my mind. It was borderline. Oh. <laughs> well, I actually, I originally and still do have it listed as a see it. But like you said, for me, it's a very borderline see it. The story was enough for me to uh, tag it as such as a see it. But I was on the fence, like I said. I'd never heard of this guy, Carter Winston, before in any Star Trek uh, canon. 
Uh, I will say that the security uh, girl who was in love with Carter, she should have been drummed out of the service right away for her lack of response for dealing with the threat to the ship the way she did. I thought that was like, wow, really? You're a Starfleet officer? But I still gave it a borderline see it. I'm curious as to why people join Starfleet to find their lost loves. (laughs) You know, because Christine Chappell does it to find Roger. Mm-hmm. And now That's this cool. this officer does it to find Carter Winston. I'm like, is this really what Starfleet does? Well, you know. So. Love is love, man. <laughs> McCoy kind of did it too. Sure. Yeah, no, good point. Yeah. Very good. How many times did Kirk do it? Uh, it's season three. It seemed like it was every episode. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see here number seven is uh, this one has been a subject of many a twitter controversial conversation uh, the infinite vulcan which aired on october 20th of 1973 the place uh, star dates 5554.4 through 5554.8 this one is cool written by walter Koenig, mr chekov a serious species of intelligent plants led by a scientist clone spock with the intentions of creating a master race with which to keep peace. So um, this has a really cool space seed tie back. So the scientist was a, uh, was involved in creating the augments, which, uh, which was Khan and his people and the other augments on earth during the eugenics wars. Pretty cool. uh, And in tie back there, as well as the first time, I think the United Federation of planets um, being pegged as founded in the 22nd century was mentioned in this, which is carried. So uh, Mr. Davidson. Yeah. The, the tie to the, uh, to space seed and the eugenics wars was the only thing that I found interesting at all in this episode. Uh, I listed it as a very strong skip it. I thought it was a bad story. And again, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the only thing that I actually enjoyed in this episode were jotting down the myriad of animation errors that took place. Um, that made that took my attention more so than the story. I thought the story was so weak. So definite skip it. I uh, I too am a skip it for this episode, but it's largely because there's a fifty foot clone of Spock. I mean, uh, no, 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 <laughs> hell no. Um, there there are some things here that are kind of interesting. But this one strikes me more as a Saturday morning cartoon than it does necessarily as an episode of Star Trek. And for me, it just wasn't enough to to, to keep me interested. I get that Walter co-wrote it, but um, uh, it's it's not my favorite animated series script. I'll have, I'll say that. How's that? That's good. All right. <laughs> All right, next up, the eighth episode. This is the Adam Drosen favorite, which he's looking very much forward to talking about. The Magics of Megas 2, and it's aired on October 27th of 1973 with a suspiciously, suspiciously low star date number of 1254.4, which actually puts it before where no man has gone before, Interesting. which has a star date of 1312.4, which... Uh, we all know that star dates are kind of funky, so they're not really necessarily a measurement of time per se. So may not really mean much. But so while investigating the theory of creation, the Enterprise is caught inside an energy tornado. Uh, after they emerge from the storm, the crew encounters a world of magic where science does not have any effect at all. So 
Interesting tidbit about this one, the original script, they were actually supposed to be God in this one. Sound kind of familiar? Oh, a little bit. Bill? <laughs> it does sound a bit familiar, but instead they, they meet the devil. Let's be honest about this. And so <laughs> even though this episode is a skip it for me, and my first comment was, no. The interesting thing about this is that this aired in the mid 1970s or you know toward the middle 1970s and on saturday mornings kids are seeing a cartoon about the devil who's not really the devil and shouldn't be taken as the devil so they're treating you know this religious aspect as oh yeah but that's not really religion it was an interesting discussion on that and certainly not the kind of thing you'd normally see on Saturday morning television. But for me, it's not enough to keep this out of the skip it category. I, uh, I'd like to start off by uh, giving a small message to Adam. <laughs> hey, Adam, it's Dan here. You're a good guy. I love you. You're awesome. It was good to see you in the videos at the Star Trek Beyond event. Um, this might have been the worst episode of Star Trek ever, ever. I mean, it was terrible. Please never, ever make me watch that again. That's all I'm saying. Next. Wow. <laughs> so you're saying you loved it. It was awful. <laughs> I, I'm actually very, very interested in hearing Adam's take on this because I can't think of anything in this episode that makes it worthy of being a see it, let alone one of the best episodes of the animated series. This will be a great discussion point. Hmm. I'm contemplating having a big round table when we get to this episode in a few weeks on the tricorder transmission. Oh, bring it on. Yes. Adam is already in, in for this one, so maybe we'll have to have a big discussion afterwards. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> so until that time, we'll move along to episode number nine called Once Upon a Planet, aired on 11.03, November 3rd of 1973, started a 55.91.2. So the Enterprise Returns, this is another sequel, by the way, the second sequel. Uh, the Enterprise Returns to the Shore Leave planet in Omicron Delta, where the crew took Shore Leave back in the TOS days. And on their, as in their previous visit, things go wrong when the illusions wind up turning Pretty deadly. This time, the shore leave computer becomes kind of sentient and wants a starship so that it can leave the planet and seek out other computers. Uh, kind of a little nomad bit there, and a little more uh, Star Trek five-ish god sort of thing. What does the robot ship need with a starship? So, Mr. Davidson, I'm going to give this one a see. It. I really thought it was a fun episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, hmm. I like the sequel to shore leave aspect of it also like that even though we had seen her before this was a heavy lieutenant Mares episode and i gotta say i really enjoyed majel's voicing of this character with her little purrs and everything after she talked every time i really had a good time watching this episode i gave it a definite see it i'm in the same column i definitely gave it a see it i think as a sequel to shore leave it's okay but it's imaginative enough where it kind of separates itself. It's not the best animated series episode, but it's uh, it's fun. And it gives you something that's totally different from the episode to which it serves as a sequel. All right. So we have another sequel to follow that one up. That's the 10th episode called Mud's Passion. And that aired on November 10th of 1973. And the star date was 4978.8. 
five. So we have um, the ship is approaching the Arcadian star system and they're on a mission to apprehend the outlaw Harry Mudd from yet another planet where he is peddling some sort of drugs to miners. So um, we have some strange things that go on. Mud winds up escaping and kidnapping Nurse Chapel. Uh, Spock gets love potioned and all sorts of things wind up ensuing. So um, this, from what I understand, is the last episode to feature the Nurse Chapel, Mr. Spock relationship that we've seen on the previous TOS episodes, um, most notably uh, Naked Time and Plato's Stepchildren. So, Bill, over to you. I'm going to have to say this one is a see it with a definite question mark, and it's mainly because, I'm going to be honest, I hate Harry Mudd. I hate both of the Mud episodes um, equally. Um, I can't really single one of them out as being something I hate more. But this episode really isn't bad, and and I kind of enjoyed it. And it's probably, for me, the best of the Mud episodes. And that's not saying a lot, I know. So I'm, I'm see it on this one, but really just barely. Yeah, I gave it a see it as well. Uh, opposite of the Tribbles episode, I really wanted to skip this one because, like Bill, I'm not a Harry Mudd fan at all. I probably uh, have seen Harry Mudd TOS episodes less than any other episode because I just don't like them, so I skip them. Um, but I like this. You had Rock Monsters and Spock in Love and Nurse Chapel. Oh, my. I mean, it was just, it was a fun episode, I think. <laughs> nice oh, my, dude. That was good. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So next up is episode number 11, the Terratin Incident, aired on November 17th of 1973. Stardates 5577.3 to 5577.7. So a strange flash of light paralyzes the Enterprise crew and they begin to shrink. So Kirk beams down to the nearest planet and discovers a miniature race who happen to be descendants of a lost Earth colony who are desperate to leave this world. So the, the this episode was written by Paul Schneider, who wrote two TOS episodes, including the awesome Balance of Terror and the Trelane Extravaganza, The Squire of Gothos. So, Bill. Yeah, and I let out that big sigh on purpose. I mean, a shrinking crew, that really kind of says it all for me. Uh, for me, it's a skip it. I was hoping before I watched this episode that it would do the shrinking crew thing a little better than Deep Space Nine did it with one little ship because they've got more freedom in animation and uh, it it didn't. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely a skip it on this one. I uh, I also gave it a skip it, but it's interesting. I was going to say see it right up until the ending of the episode. That ending just completely blew that right out of the water. It was terrible. I mean, how can a phaser beam cause the city to transport back to the ship in its small size? I just, I can't even skip it. Next. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next episode is the 12th, and that is called The Time Trap, aired on November 24th of 1973. Stardates 52.67.2. 5267.6 of the Enterprise becomes trapped in the Delta Triangle, uh, an area of space kind of like the Bermuda Triangle here on Earth. And to make matters worse, the ship uh, is also trapped alongside a Klingon vessel 
the Clothos, which is commanded by our old friend Commander Kor. So interesting part about this episode is that it features the Council of Elysia, which includes several aliens we know from the old TOS series, including an Orion woman, a Klingon, an Dorian, a Tellarite, and a Orn, most interestingly. So, uh, and this episode also marks the final appearance of smooth foreheaded Klingons. Pretty cool. So, Mr. Davidson. I gave this one a see it. I thought it was very predictable, but I also thought it was a fun episode. Um, like you said, Jeff, I love that the council had so many recognizable trick aliens from TOS and previous animated series episodes. I thought that gave it a definite uh, plus to the episode. I thought it was absolutely hilarious that the Klingon explosive was a Tylenol. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, And I also noticed that in this episode, the sound effects were very much more in line with what we were used to in TOS other than previous episodes of the animated series. So it was good to see those start to line up correctly for me. So I gave it a see it. I, uh, I did not. (laughs) <laughs> I uh it's funny when I took the notes on this one I actually watched this episode twice. You know, there was about a week in between viewings and the first time I watched it my comment was meh. And then the second time I watched it my comment was uninteresting. And so really that kind of sums up my feeling on on the time trap. Uh, it I think it purposefully tries to you know, be reminiscent of the Bermuda Triangle on purpose. And it's an okay story. It just it didn't really do anything for me. So I'm I'm a skip it. It's 20 minutes of my life. I could probably get back. Yeah, maybe you could watch Magus 2 with that 20 minutes. Uh, wow. Yeah, Adam and I will watch it over a burger. Okay. <laughs> All right. So next up is the 13th episode, the Ambergris Element. So this one is a definitely something that could not have been done on the original series. So you've got the Enterprise crew exploring an underwater culture uh, in a completely water-bound world. So uh, the writer of this episode, actually, Margaret Arman, also wrote The Lorelei Signal, which you both had as a see-it. And as she also wrote some scripts for the uh, original series, including Gamesters of Triskelion, RNA syndrome and the cloud minders. This episode also gives us the first uh, shuttlecraft that was armed. That is the NCC 1701-5A, which is an aqua shuttle. So uh, unfortunately we don't get to see much more of that uh, in, in any of the prior or subsequent series. So uh, Mr. Davidson. Yeah. Unfortunately with all the great writing that were done with previous episodes by this writer, I uh, gave this one a skip it. I thought it had potential, but it uh, just ended up not doing anything for me. It was kind of boring for me, uh, except for the sea monster, because sea monsters are always pretty cool. Um, but other than that, I just didn't care for it. I didn't like the way that uh, um, the whole you know land coming underwater and then becoming up above water again. I just didn't care for the story. So skip it. So let me see if I get this straight. <laughs> There's a Starfleet submarine. Kirk and Spock become fish people, and there's an environment that seems to make me think that Jar Jar Binks could be showing up at any given moment. Uh, This one, squarely for me, is a definite skip it. Uh, Yeah, fish people. (laughs) (laughs) I, 
I wish that they would have done more of the Starfleet submarine, though. I think that's really cool. They could have used that in Into Darkness. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, the whole ship became a submarine in the darkness, so <laughs> I guess they didn't need it. Yet we digress. Yes, we do. So, <laughs> And with that, let's move on to episode 14, The Slaver Weapon. So that aired on December 15th of 1973, start date 4187.3. A group of, uh, I can't remember how to pronounce this word, but Zinti divert the shuttle Copernicus and uh, its newly discovered weapon that they want to appropriate and use for themselves. So um, this is actually the first time that Nimoy appeared in a Trek episode without William Shatner uh, since the cave. So pretty cool. And this is the only time Kirk does not appear in any original series, era, show, or movie. Also, no McCoy and no Scotty in this episode. So, Phil? Wow, that's actually really interesting. I didn't realize that, but now that you mention it, I that's 100% true. Wow. Um, this episode kind of put me to sleep. I'm not going to lie. Um, it, it was it, – it, it seemed kind of odd and a little – goofy is really the word that comes to mind. But for me, it was a skip it. I, uh, I, I could have not watched it and then gone to watch it again and totally forgotten that I had seen it before. It was that kind of disinteresting to me. Wow. I like it when we when we disagree because I loved this episode, Bill. Really, uh, I gave it a definite see it. I enjoyed it tremendously. I thought the premise of a magic weapon was a little goofy, but I loved the Kazinti. I thought they were cool looking cats, so to speak. Get it, cats seventies? Okay, anyway. Uh... Um, but I thought the the story was fun, and I enjoyed it. It had action and and stuff like that. And it's got a police web, and I need one of those. So I definitely gave it a see it. Oh, well, maybe I should revisit my vote, because who doesn't need a police web? No, you already revisited a vote once. You can't do it again. <laughs> All right. Let's skip it for me, see it for you. I get it. <laughs> All right. So next up is episode 15, The Eye of the Beholder, aired on January 5th of 1974. Starting at 5501.2, so beaming down to a planet to search for the crew of a missing ship. The crew is captured by the alien inhabitants. So uh, the writers, David P. Harmon, also wrote a couple of TOS episodes in the Deadly Years and co-wrote a piece of the action with uh, Gene Kuhn. So, and the crew winding up in a, a sort of a zoo is a little bit similar to The Cage, Mr. David. Well, it's uh, interesting that you say that, Jeff. I gave this a see it. I liked the idea of the story because it reminded me very much of the cage. Um, I thought that it was a little slow at times, but uh, still enjoyable, especially that these quote unquote Telosians, even though they weren't, they were kind of mutant snuffleupaguses. So I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be mutant snuffleupagai? <laughs> I wouldn't knew they- you were going to say that the grammar King over here. <laughs> Well, no, that's an actual question because I don't know that there is a pluralism for <laughs> Snuffleupagus. Um, well, technically there isn't because there was only one. Well, technically there <laughs> may not have even been that because nobody could see him until they could. Oh, I love these Sesame Street references. This is great. <laughs> uh, for me, this is also a see it. And for really kind of the same reasons for you, Dan, it really did remind me of the cage, but it was a little more whimsical for me. Uh, it's definitely not a bad story. 
I could have done without all of the monsters and creatures, and I get the sense that that was thrown in to make it a little more Saturday morning friendly. But all in all, it's it's really not a bad Star Trek story, and I think they did a nice job with it. I agree with that. So moving along to episode 16, which is also the season finale, it's called The Jihad, aired on January 12th of 1974. It started at 5683.1. So uh, the Vidala, who are the oldest known uh, space-faring race, summon Kirk and Spock to recover the soul of Score, a stolen religious artifact that has the potential to ignite a holy war across the galaxy. The writer of this episode, Stephen Candell, also wrote Mud's Passion, as well as the two TOS Mud episodes. And cool little tidbit, David Gerald, the Tribbles writer, does some of the voice acting in this episode. Hmm. I gave this a skip it. I I just didn't think that there was anything really great about this story. Um, It just didn't really catch my attention. Uh, It was overcomplicated and silly at the same time, if that makes any sense. Um, although I gave it a skip it, I did enjoy the very first appearance of Slimer from Ghostbusters. And I also enjoyed seeing a slee stack from Land of the Lost in this episode. So <laughs> that had that. <laughs> so it's got that, which is nice. <laughs> um, I was a see it, actually. I, I think this episode is a little more Saturday morning cartoon than Star Trek, perhaps. But I think it's enjoyable. The only thing this episode didn't have was quicksand. Because I think just about every '70s show had quicksand, um, but other than that, I, I it had you know lava, which is a close second. So I I thought it was enjoyable. It was fun. Um, I thought it was a nice way to wrap up the the first season of the animated series. I agree. I agree. All right. So time to begin the second season, which is a very very short season of the animated series with the 17th episode. The Pirates of Orion, which aired on September 7th of 1974, star dates 6334.1 to 6335.6. So Spock has been stricken ill by an outbreak of, I'm not sure if I can pronounce this, uh, but I'm not even going to try, it's a space disease. <laughs> <laughs> they need the medicine to cure him uh, and the space pirates wind up hijacking a drug shipment. So the enterprise crew has to fight to get it back. So a uh, little tidbit too: Kirk makes a reference to the Orion conflict at Corridan uh, on starting 38, 50.3, which is a direct reference of the TOS episode journey to Babel. So turn it over to you, Bill. Uh, thanks. Uh, this one for me is a, is a see it. Uh, I think it's a good start to the second season. It's a decent episode, even if they keep pronouncing Orion wrong. That kind of bugged me the whole episode. I don't know why that was a thing, but um, I thought it was a decent enough story and a good Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, I'm going to see it. Question for you, Bill. Do you think that it was the Orions the whole time? I really was not sure if it was, and it was possibly a race called the Orions until they started talking about them being pirates at the end. Then I was kind of confused. I'm assuming that they meant Orion because it's in the title of the episode. Okay. All right. Um, I gave it a C it also, though, even with that, with the, the pronunciation issue. I thought it was a good episode. 
Uh, I did find it very funny at the beginning of the episode when Spock collapsed on the bridge that Kirk immediately called sickbay for an emergency, but Bones was standing right next to him. I thought that was good. I love picking out things like that. I find it hilarious, but it's a see it for me. Awesome. So moving on to episode number 18, this one is also written by David Gerald, the writer of the famous Triple episodes. It's called BEM, and it aired on September 14th of 1974 with a star date of 7403.6. And quick trivia question, do you guys know what BEM stands for? Piece of crap? <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to know this. Uh, it's an acronym. I just don't remember what it stands for. Uh, it's an old sci-fi term meaning bug-eyed monster. Ah, yes, that's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Dan Davidson, essentially. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Uh, so in this episode, an erratic observer from the planet Pandro watches over the crew of the Enterprise to determine if the Federation is ready to open diplomatic relations with his species. And most famously, this episode is the first one to reveal Kirk's middle name, Tiberius, which David Gerald actually made up. Mr. Davids? Skip it. This one thinks it was a waste of time, Bill Geek. Uh, Bem was not interesting at all, and quite frankly, he was annoying as f***. It was just awful. Uh, how on earth Kirk would allow this guy to work alone in the transporter room before they beam down to the planet is beyond me. I did not like this episode at all. Um, I thought it was hokey. Uh, the saving grace in this episode, I guess you could say, was I just love listening to uh, um, Nichelle's voice. And as she was the goddess or whatever um, the ruler of the planet was, I liked her voice. Other than that, there was nothing that I liked about this episode. Yeah, I have to – hokey is a great word. I'm glad you used it because I've been trying to find the right adjective ever since I watched this episode and it wasn't coming to me. And I think you'd hit it right on the head. Uh, skip it. Uh, I I can't stand Bem. I don't know how Kirk tolerated him for so long. I would have, you know, I would have airlocked him. I really would have. <laughs> or I would have, you know, put him in a, a pod and, and dumped him off on the nearest planet. Or I would have just left him behind. Uh, Bug-eyed monster. I... I would have to bleep myself far too much to say what I really think about Bem. So I'm just going to say skip it. Wow. So you're, what you're saying then, Bill, is Bem and Dan are interchangeable. Yeah. Wow. That's Thank a great you. – you're really on fire today, buddy. Good for you. All right. I'm glad to help. <laughs> All right. So moving on to episode 19, The Practical Joker, which aired September 21st of 1974. Stardate 3183.3. So after passing through a uh, space energy cloud, the Enterprise computer gains artificial intelligence that is relentlessly bent on making practical jokes on the crew. I love this concept. <laughs> so it's like data getting the emotion chip. So, uh, Mr. Smith. Well, um, let's see. The computer becomes a practical joker. Kirk is a jerk. Uh, this one's a skip it for me because it, it kind of makes Threshold and Shades of Grey look like masterpieces. Oh, man. Although <laughs> although it did introduce the holodeck. So, I mean, that's a plus. It, it, it paved the way for TNG a little bit with that. But for me, it's just it's it's the, the tiniest bit of polish on this turd. For me, it's a skip it. <laughs> that's 
wow this is great i love this show so much <laughs> i um another disagreement man i gave it a see it i really liked this episode uh the idea was not great but the episode was fun uh it was the very first holodeck that goes crazy episode when you think about it um sulu almost froze to death again um it was yet another um tos ending where all the crew is laughing at each other uh, what's not to love i thought it was great i will put in a serious side note is this reminded me a bit of star trek continues divided we stand regarding the infection of the computer i thought that was kind of neat yeah i have to agree with you on that one uh yeah you're right it is a little bit like the holodeck goes crazy that is kind of nice um I thought the Sulu freezing to death thing was a little bit overdone, but I guess this is one we're going to have to agree to disagree on, buddy. All right. I win. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, hopefully we can agree on episode 20, Albatross, which aired on September 28th of 1974, taking place on star dates between 5275.6 and 5276.8. Following a mission to the planet Dromia, Dr. McCoy is held prisoner, accused of mass genocide caused by a deadly plague committed 19 years earlier during a previous expedition, and the Enterprise attempts to investigate it to becomes infected. Eric Davidson. Um, I gave this one a skip it, actually. Uh, I thought it was a little boring and a little predictable. Um, I found it interesting at the end of the episode, if you remember in this episode, the disease, the skin of the people that were infected would start to change different colors. Um, So I found it very interesting at the end of the episode when they beamed back to the Enterprise that McCoy's tunic was gold instead of blue. So I'm figuring that the disease was still in his uniform, uh, which caused that problem. So as a result, I had to give it a skip it. Bill? Wow, Dan, speaking of albatross... (laughs) Great review, buddy. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Meaning you're my albatross. But uh, this one for me is actually a see it. Uh, I think it's an interesting enough episode, and it starts with a decent premise. You know, Dr. McCoy getting arrested and and potentially causing a a deadly plague and pandemic. I mean, we think of McCoy as the doctor who can get them out of every situation. And, you know, there's the possibility of unintended consequences. So... Uh, I think this is I think it's a great episode of Star Trek and this is another one of those that I wish had been an hour long live action episode. Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. I actually find that very interesting. It's that's it's amazing how you can have two different such varying opinions on it cuz I just did not think that at all. It's a great thing about Star Trek. That's true. Definitely. But yeah. we're all fans and that's what matters. That's right. So we'll see if we're all fans of episode 21, How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth, airing on October 5th of 1974, between Stardate 60, 63.4, and 60, 63.5. The Enterprise encounters a being that once visited the ancient peoples of Earth, who is kind of upset over having been forgotten. He gives the Enterprise crew a chance to redeem themselves because one lone uh, ensign, uh, Dawson Walking Bear remembers him. So um, this episode is the only one, I believe, that includes a Native American starship crew member. 
And also has a couple of nods back to the episode Friday's Child, the original series Friday's Child, with some uh, Capellan references. So remember Capella 4 was the planet from Friday's Child, so they mentioned uh, some Capellan power cat in this episode. Mr. Bill. Well, for me, I think that this episode is a see-it. It's a decent, full Star Trek story told in about 22 minutes. And... It's kind of another episode where they demystify, you know, some sort of religious or spiritual belief on a Saturday morning. And that for me is is enough alone to put it in the see it category. Um, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. I I looked forward to seeing where it went next. Um, but yeah, uh, I like this episode. Wow. Well, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to. I'm going to start my comments by remember earlier in this podcast when I said that I thought Magus two was the worst Trek episode ever. I do. Yeah. Then I watched this episode. (laughs) Wow. I got to say, I thought it was just, it was so bad. I, I had the, I had the honor of watching this episode and then, and the next episode with my beautiful bride and we were both looking at each other during this episode and we were like WTF exclamation point. It was awful. I, Oh my God, it was so awful. Uh, the only thing that I liked in this episode was the voice of the uh, Kukachu or whatever it was called was the Oracle from, for the world is hollow. And I've touched the sky. Other than that, I will never watch this episode again. And other than that, you have no real strong feelings. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> wow, we definitely were were opposites, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum on this one. I I thought it was great. Oh no, I just I well we'll agree to disagree, like I said, because I thought this was just an absolute steaming pile. I think we can both agree how wrong you are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So let's hope this final episode is not as contentious. And this is the 22nd and final episode of the animated series called The Counter Clock Incident. It aired on October 12th of 1974, taking place between Stardate 6770.1 and 6770.6. So the Enterprise encounters a negative universe. Former Captain Robert April saves the ship as the crew age backwards. So we've got little children, uh, Enterprise crew members. And I love the fact that this episode includes uh, Captain Robert April, who was actually the captain of the Enterprise before Captain Christopher Pike. So Mr. Davidson. Yes, I I gave this one a see it. Um, Not because of the fact that after Serpent's Tooth, I think Time Machine Part 2 would have won an Oscar. Uh, but I just think that this was a good Star Trek story. Um, it was great uh, to see Robert April, like you said. Um, he talked about how he was watching the first parts of the Starship being uh, built in San Francisco. Um, so that was a great uh, historical point for the Enterprise. It was a good story. I loved the reverse universe, and I thought this was a very worthy end to the animated series. I have to agree. It's it's a decent little episode, even if it's a tiny bit corny at times. But it, it's also pretty sciency for a Saturday morning cartoon, and I thought that was awesome. I love the introduction of Robert April. Um, although this does start the trope of the transporter being a cure-all for things, 
Like we can get out of any situation if we just run people back through the pattern buffer. But despite all that, I think it's a solid see it. Uh, it's a shame that the animated series didn't continue on, but it definitely ended on a good note. All right. I actually completely agree. I love that episode. So, um, all right. So are, do you guys want to tally up your, your uh, skippets? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go first, Dan, if you want. Absolutely, sir. Out of the 22 Star Trek The Animated Series episodes, I listed 13 as a see it, leaving nine to fall by the wayside, putting me at a percentage of 59.09% of the animated series that I think is worth watching. Dan? And, of course, some of that percentage was added tonight, so that that thumbs up there, buddy. Wow. <laughs> I was a little bit more uh, on the downside, kind of with Voyager's season one, see it or skip it. I was right down the middle. I was 11 for 11 uh, at an exact 50% for see it versus skip it. So there you go. Wow. That's that's actually really interesting. We didn't differ all that much. Um, really two episodes. And as you are, are want to point out, I, I changed one midstream, but <laughs> I just like to think that I appreciated more Star Trek than you did. So there. Wow. Okay. Jeff, you better do something. You better take over, man, because things are going to get ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, let me pose a question to both of you. Sure. Um, Clearly, the animated series is a a long debated installment in Star Trek. Uh, Jeff, I'll start with you because you were kind enough to shepherd us through the uh, the episodes. Is the animated series canon for you, or is it kind of a gray area? No gray area at all for me. I consider the animated series canon for many, many, many reasons. So, um, I, I mean, it was originally authorized by Roddenberry. You had tons of writers from the original series. You had all the actors from the original series, minus uh, Walter Koenig, tons of returning actors. You had many episodes that referred back to TOS, some that were sequels to TOS, and many episodes that are referred back to in other series and movies. So I just, I don't see how you can say this isn't canon, just based on those things. So completely not, uh, not subjective at all. That's just, uh, just based on the facts. Interesting. Dan, what about you, buddy? Yeah, well, anybody who listens to the podcast knows that um, I have talked about how I had not seen the animated series since probably it originally aired back in the 70s. I really don't didn't remember a lot about it, but I had read a lot about it and was not all that keen on it. So when we came to the point where I had to watch it for the show, I was kind of nervous. But I have to say, I have no doubt that this should be considered canon, whether I would I voted for see it or skip it i think that this series should definitely be considered canon and i would hope that officially someday it is reverted back to it except for of course the uh um guardian episode with spock yesteryear interesting for me i think i have to come down on the side of it uh, of it not being and i think it's just because of the the elements of the stories and how they get a little more whimsical for saturday morning i think there's some things that just don't translate well to the live action star trek universe and i have a hard time picturing any of those being somewhat realistic but i, I get that's more of a of a personal preference than anything else you know what i mean uh, 
Well, you know, yeah, it, sure. I understand, man. You know, you can be wrong at the same time. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have never liked you. <laughs> I don't care if you got me a really nice gift this week, and I, you, sir, you're like Kirk. Kirk is a jerk. That's all oh, I'm going to say. Oh, wow. Okay. But, but Dan is a fan. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> you're killing me. Um, Jeff, thank you so much, buddy, for coming on in and and leading us through the animated series. Uh, we look forward to hearing more of the tricorder transmission episodes on TAS. And uh, anytime you want to bring us in to school, Mr. Drosen, <laughs> or, uh, or just talk about an episode in general, we're happy to do it, man. Uh, great job. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate being invited on. It's been nice to get back and talk with you guys again. And a couple of weeks from now, when we do uh, the magics, we oh. will have Adam on, and then we can have some rebuttal time uh, with the two of you, maybe on the same episode. I will make sure that I do it on an empty stomach, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, no puking, no vomiting on Mike. <laughs> Great to have you on, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Been a lot of fun, guys. Thanks. Dan, we'd really like to thank Jeff from Tricorder Transmissions for coming on again. It was really great he was there to be the adult in the room, considering you were part of the discussion, buddy. Well, I was going to say, it's funny that you say that, because I was going to say, when I take over the show and get rid of you, I definitely know who I'm going to call to take over. <laughs> so there you go, Mr. You, Executive Producer, sir. Well, I guess. No, in all seriousness, it was awesome to have him on. He is so much fun to talk to. His shows are so great. And... uh I'm, I was on literally. I was honored to have him on the show. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, he and Craig and Heather and Claire do such great work over in Tricorder Transmissions. Uh, we really hope everybody will check them out online at the TricorderTransmissions.com. Funny, we say that about every time this episode. Just yeah. like we <sighs> hope everybody checks out Five Year Mission. We can't thank them enough for letting us use their music every single week for the podcast. They're they're amazing. I, I they're the house band too, buddy. What? <laughs> they are. I I would not steer you wrong, sir. You would not. Your house band for STLV fifty, the official Star Trek convention in Las Vegas coming up in wow, just a little over seven weeks, Dan. Unbelievable. You know what else is unbelievable? Oh God. I, you know, I have my alternate universe episodes of Star Trek over here in my special closet, right? Yeah. So I'm watching one the other day, and there was this like weird-looking creature kind of like slithering through the rocks. It kind of looked like a shaggy Mike Rittenhouse, um, and it was sketching letters. And it was Devil in the Fark, I think was the name of that episode, if I remember correctly. I don't Really? I don't really? Yeah. Really? So, so wait, you mean <laughs> shaggier than Mike Rittenhouse, right? <laughs> I, Mike, he said that. I didn't, man. <laughs> Mike doesn't listen to this show. Don't worry about it. Oh, that's true. I guess it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, please check them out online at fiveyearmission.net. Uh, we love those guys. And we know you will too. And, you know, get ready for Vegas. That's all I'm saying. Oh. It's coming up. You're going to want to hear the tunes. Oh, yeah. Go check them out. Get ready because we are going to be rocking in that audience come Vegas. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Dan. Coming up next week, 
It sounds like uh, we're going to use an idea of yours that you had not too long ago. Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad that we're going to be doing this. If folks uh, listened last week, we were talking about what episode would you take with you or would we take with us if we were going to be stranded for all time somewhere and we only had one episode of Star Trek to watch. And the runner up for me was the 100th episode of Star Trek Voyager. So next week, we are going to dedicate the show to the episode Timeless. It's going to be awesome. You're timeless, buddy. Only because you make me that way. Or at least that's what it feels like whenever we have to sit together and do this show. (laughs) Usually you say I make you feel nauseated, so I'll take this as an improvement. Nauseous, timeless, it rhymes, it works. Once again, please don't forget to check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions. And of course, for all the latest news on everything Star Trek, please visit treknews.net. They are our first stop for Star Trek news, and we hope they'll be yours too. But for now, this has been episode 63 of Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Hello, Bill. Lieutenant Eric's here. I strongly recommend that you partake in the consumption of coconut coffee. Uh, f- you. <laughs> wow, what a fun show. <clears throat>
Sue and I just had a fantastic dinner, just had a light, you know, just BLTs, just cooked up some bacon, but we watched Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. Nice. Yes. No player shall at any time make contact with the umpire in any manner. The prescribed penalty for the violation is immediate ejection from the game. Rule number 4.06, subsection A, paragraph 4. Look it up, but do it in the stands. You're gone! <laughs> now confess something. Did you memorize that, or are you reading it off of? I was. IMDb? I did memorize it. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> but I've watched that scene a hundred times. It's awesome. That is one of my favorite uh, Odo scenes in the entire series. I only wish that you could say it as Guy Fieri. <laughs> I probably could. Well, no player shall any time in contact with the Empire in any manner. Here a triple D. We're talking Niners, Romulans, and Warp Drives. No? No. Sure. 